0: guys welcome back to construct your life this is austin lenny here and i have miss Kay in the house with those amazing glasses we're we're her first uh duty that she, we'll call it work or fun whatever you want to call it which i love uh intentional about her morning so we're gonna we're gonna warm into her so if uh Kay, if you would like to tell people who you are uh, a little bit about your story and we'll get started
1: Great, so my name's Kay Allison. I live in beautiful Boulder, Colorado where I can hike from my house, which is the world's greatest. Um, I have been sober since August of 1999, which for those of you that are counting in uh, August of 2023, it'll be 24 years. Uh, at the time that I went alcohol free, I was a senior vice president of a global ad agency living in Chicago. I had sole custody of two glorious children, and it looked pretty good on the outside. I mean, I drew a, drove a shiny late model car and lived in the Gold Coast, and you know, I thought I looked like I had it all together. But what people didn't know was starting on Thursday and probably running through Sunday, I would open, you know, I'd come home stressed, overwhelmed, overcommitted and say to myself, Oh, I'm just going to have one to unwind and would end up, you know, drinking more than I wanted. I thought if I could stop at five or six or one bottle that everything would be cool. And Spent about half my life hung over and feeling miserable. So, you know, there was an incident where uh, I just woke up the next morning, Austin, and I was like, I'm done, man. I'm done. Mm-hmm. And I haven't had a drink since. And now I help professional women, successful professional women who are very much where I was in nineteen ninety nine. I help them get free from alcohol to reset their relationship with alcohol and so that they can live in joy, peace, and laughter.
0: So I'll tell you a story. So I am three and a half years sober at the moment. This was, we were on the West Coast. I was renting a Airbnb in uh, Encinitas, California. And the guy said, look, just, we were renting like a van. It was a whole thing, we're gonna stay on the beach, but he was in Mexico fishing, and so he was like, just stay in my little tiny home on the beach. So we stayed in a tiny home for like four days. We took care of his cat. Him and I got to talking over message on Airbnb, come to find out he was ex-recovery as well from, from heroin. So oh, then wow. I meet him in person, right? He walks up to me. This is a true story. He walks up to me and he shakes my hand. He said, you inspire me because you stopped drinking. And I was like, dude, what are you talking about? I said, you quit heroin. He goes, dude, it's easier to quit heroin. He goes, alcohol's everywhere. It's
1: everywhere.
0: And it was like, oh, okay. And then I, and what's weird is I sold alcohol and wine for 20 years. Hmm. So I get Not something.
1: weird actually. <laughs> so I get it, right?
0: But what's crazy in my sobriety is my last six months as a bar manager, I was sober and I stopped drinking. I was making drinks by smell cause I knew it so well, I didn't drink. So here I am in the pit of all the things and people are like, you're, you're nuts for trying to quit while you're still doing it. But I, if you look at society, you know, we're, we're so, um, used to it, right. With the football game or travel or everything like that, when a woman approaches you or when you're helping some, uh, body, um, you know, how do they go about beginning the steps of even starting to pull themselves away from what's so socially normed?
1: Well, the first thing I want to say is marketing works.
0: <laughs>
1: marketing works and alcohol is marketed as a social lubricant and that you're going to have more fun and be more connected and have an elevated experience if alcohol is part of the mix. Marketing works. We all kind of believe that. The women who come to me are baffled that they can't control how much they're consuming. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they've been able to leave bad marriages. They've they've started companies. They've raised, like they've done all these things. But when it comes to this one teeny little issue over here, they don't have any control. And it's so baffling to them. So where I start with them on the 45-minute call that we have, it's called the drinking do-over call. I actually have them analyze the benefits and costs of their relationship with alcohol because we don't do something that we don't get something from. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I call it the ABCs of your drinking. And the benefits are usually things like, it's my one moment to myself. Uh, It helps me feel more comfortable socially. It helps me relax. And then we go, I go, great, that's great. You know, now let's look at the costs. Let's look at the consequences. Let's look at the costs. And they start saying things like, well, you know, I'm really impatient with my kids. Uh, My son, who's a teenager, actually wanted to spend time with me. And I was so hungover, I couldn't do it. And I'm never going to get that, you know, that one chance that specific Mm -hmm. chance again. And I'm worried about my health and I've gained 30 pounds and, 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 and and, and then I say to them, well, let's look at these lists and tell me what characterizes the benefits and what characterizes the consequences. And what they come to on their own is that the benefits are very short-lived. They are moments and the consequences are the things that are important to them, my relationships, my health, my anxiety, my mental health, right? And once they kind of look at that, it's it's um, a profound shift in the way that they're thinking, right, from, oh, I should quit and I'd be sacrificing so much, to, holy crap, that is costing me things that are really baseline important to me.
0: That's so true. And for me, and I don't, you know, I don't know if they have these moments, but everybody always asks me, especially, you know, when am I going to not want it anymore? Like, when is that, that thirst for the booze? For me personally, and I just talk about myself a lot, when I was able to travel and go on a vacation without boozing for 10 days, that to me felt like my Everest. And Mm. And after that trip, I was done. I was done for the rest of my life. Like... Reassociating my good time that didn't need to be associated with alcohol was my personal Everest.
1: That makes a lot of sense to me. I think it's very personal. For me, uh, it was that night when my kids, who were then adolescents, had to undress me and put me to bed that I was done. I'm not that kind of mom. I'm not that mm-hmm. kind of woman. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had left their dad with them to protect them. And here I was doing things that were injurious to them. And that, that bottom line was just not okay. And the switch flipped and I was done.
0: And what do you say to, you know, you and I talked about it a little briefly, you know, what do you say to people that maybe didn't go to AA or didn't do the thing the way that you know, it's whatever you call that, supposed to be done. <laughs> right. You and I didn't do that, right? Uh, you know, do you get that a lot in, in your teachings and your books? And you say, well, this isn't the way that you're supposed to do it, you know, or whatever.
1: So I did go to AA and mm-hmm. quickly realized that it's not geared for successful women. Okay. And what I found what I was that I was having to do a lot of translating Mm. of a program that was created by men for men with big grandiose egos that needed to be punctured. And I was having to reinterpret it Mm. for professional women who do not come in with big grandiose egos. We come in thinking that we're terrible. We're you know, flawed, we're to blame for everything that's wrong with mm-hmm. our worlds and the people in our worlds. And if only we were 10 pounds thinner or sexier or smarter, or blah, 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 then everything would be okay. And so that ego deflation that AA is based on only digs the hole deeper for women because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. we already think that we're the cause of all that's wrong. You know, yes, um, that's and so, so true my, my, it felt like I was Ginger Rogers to Fred Astaire, you know, doing it all yeah. backwards and yeah. in heels. And what I found was that women started to come to me and say, I want K-A, my initials, K-A instead of AA." Mm. And that's where this started. That's really where this started.
0: That's so true. I think my only issue with AA is it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a springboard it feels like a, a negative uh, cycle through. Right?
1: I think that's really true. Uh, you know, it's based on very fundamental Christian beliefs. And even though today they say it's spiritual, not religious, it started with a very fundamental Christian um, ideology and has the undertone or the orientation of being pretty punitive and pretty backwards looking you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you did this wrong. And again, for women who already think we're doing everything wrong, that's not a newsflash. Mm -hmm. What I find more exciting is to help people envision such a compelling ideal self for themselves Mm -hmm. in the future, that yes, there's stuff that we need to clean up. Absolutely. You know, we you know, I had to straighten some things out with my ex-husband, with my kids, with my mom, you know, like I I Mm didn't make things right, Mm -hmm. but it's in service of, I want to be free. I want to be filled with joy. I want a life of abundance where I watch other people light up. Like that's my mission. And I can't do that if I'm still hanging on to grievances and injuries that I'm dragging along behind me from the past. So there's a place for getting free from that. But oh my God, I'm so much more attracted to creating the future Mm -hmm. than I am continuing to rehash the past for the rest of my life.
0: No, my belief is that when you're trying to uh, create change, you need to be strong enough to stand up to your past not let it own you, meaning that you might have to do some work prior to and then go back and address it, not the other way around. It's like, I don't like me mentally, I wasn't prepared to, to look at that. I needed to get to a, let's call it out of the water, right? Yeah. Enough to be able to stand on my own two feet and then address the truths of my past, not the other way around.
1: I really agree with that. I think that, um, Well, since the time of Freud, our culture has believed that it's a straight line between all the stuff that happened to us when we were kids to how we are in the world today. Mm -hmm. But there's research more recently that shows that actually it's your vision of your future that's more determinant for how you show up today than anything that happened in your past, Mm. which is why I lean into the future. Plus in a former career, I was a futurist. I helped fortune 200 companies what? and vet two billion $2 million worth of new products and new business models. So my bent is always, what can we invent? What can we create? And I'd much, I'd find that so much more compelling than beating myself up for decisions I made when I was 18.
0: That's so true. So for you and, and we'll dig into the book, since that was kind of your background, where, was the book kind of easy for you to like come up with the idea and create a product? Like that was already in your repertoire to be yeah. like, I can do this. And, Cause you know, when you put those words on paper, you know, a lot of people have, you know, those are the words that are gonna live there. You know, a lot of people have trouble uh, writing books, but if that's what you did for a career, I mean, I'm sure it was a little a little easier for you.
1: You know, the best... Advice that I got was this is how you feel about this and how you're thinking about this as a snapshot in this point in time. Mm. And write it, get it mm. out. And then as your thinking evolves, write the next one. And uh, I found that liberating because if I had, you know, like I keep working and exploring and learning and experiencing things. And if I had tried to make it contemporary, I mean it never would have been done. So at some point it was just like, we're gonna call this good and we're gonna move on.
0: Yeah. Was it uh John Maxwell said, he said, at some point you have to realize that the words are gonna live on the page and you can't do anything about them.
1: Can't he's do like, a darn thing about it.
0: He's like the moment you write it, he's like, he's like, it goes to print. And I'm like, oh, I should change that. And he's like, Absolutely. I can't. Yeah, he's like can't, can't do it. Can't do it. Uh, you know, for me, it's like, I feel like. Everybody has a book inside them, regardless if it gets printed or not. And it's not even the fact, right? Um, I I just interviewed an author before for this as well. And I I told him the story of my father and and, and all this stuff and him not writing that book. Maybe me and my father wouldn't have reconciled. Like, so like he doesn't even know me before that interview, but like, that's the ripple effect of a book. That's a ripple effect of a podcast. That's a ripple effect of a social media post. And I think when we look at it from that point of view, then you can drop your personal stress on needing it to be something that it's not and just let it and just put it out there. Let your music live out there.
1: I also am a big fan of aiming for 80%.
0: Okay, what's that? Aim
1: for 80%. Well, 100% is, like my 100% is probably 150% for other, some other Mm -hmm. people. Mm And, you know, I'd rather have something good and out there helping people than something that I have polished and is perfect. And I'm going to change my mind about or have a better anecdote about in four months. So Mm -hmm. I aim for it to be 80% perfect.
0: I love that. When you, is there like a fundamental, like one or two, like foundation points that you see in the people that you help? Uh, is there something that's a through line between all those people or does everybody show up with a unique story and their unique kind of understanding
1: no the the unique the um i mean the circumstances of course are different of course of course but as i was saying before the the common thread is these are accomplished people mm-hmm. and there's this one thing that they cannot no matter what they do, they can't seem to make a dent in the way their relationship with alcohol. And that is so perplexing to these women. The good news is most of them have coaches and have done courses and have done a lot of work to get where they are. And so when they get to the point where they're like, man, this is no longer serving me, they're willing to ask for help. Um but that is a hard ask, man. That it's, is a it's, hard it's, ask. <laughs>
0: it's, it's the, I've done enough work to know it's not even the act of the, yes, it is the act of the ask, but it's knowing that when you make the ask, then you're going to have to do the work. Yeah. And that works going to change. Yeah, the, it's stuff, yeah. Exactly. Relationships are going to change. Your yeah. relationship with yourself is going to change. There, you know, my divorce, like, yes, I missed her. But I also, her dad was my basically my surrogate father. Her brother was my best friend. Those are the things I had to face, knowing that those relationships, even though they said they would be the same, they never have been, but I had to believe in myself on the other side of that. that There was enough good in the world that I could overcome those. That's the scary part.
1: Yeah, I I think when you're in it, it looks like such a big sacrifice. And when you're on the other side of it, it's like, oh my god, I was hanging on for dear life to, you know, like a muddy puddle. When yeah. oh, there's a rainbow over here. But when you're in the muddy puddle, man, that's all you can see.
0: I love that. And when um, when you when you unlock, because that's what you do for them. When you unlock that aspect of your client that can't get that thing right. What have you seen in their life and and what have they just launched like 10X, 20X?
1: Oh my God. It's, I think that when you're in it, you don't realize how much energy you're draining from A, being checked out because you're numb, B, being hung over and C, the amount of mental energy you're burning all the time thinking about, could I drink tonight? How much am I going to drink? How do I feel? Did it, when when you stop leaking that energy, oh my God, your life takes off like a rocket. Oh. You know, I've had people go from you know credit score of four hundred to eight hundred. Mm-hmm. I've had people go from not being able to maintain a romantic relationship to you know together with somebody for ten years and getting married. Uh, I've had people walk through divorces and cancer and MS and all the rest of it with a certain sense of grace and dignity and sense of humor. Um, you know, relationship heal, uh, businesses take off. Yeah. But fundamentally, beyond all of that, you know, the bells and whistles or the the gifts and prizes is that people like themselves. They feel comfortable mm. in their own skin. And their their consciousness is just at a different level where when people start, they're so trapped in their egos and they're so trapped in their bodies. Mm -hmm. And what I have found, and and I'm curious to see if you relate to this, when we drink or use, it's um, all of the slang terms are demolition oriented. Mm -hmm. right? So we're smashed, we're annihilated, we're wasted, we're stoned, right? And it's kind of like we get out of our prison of this ego self and we get connected. We get connected to something greater than ourselves, be it another person, be it feeling comfortable, being, be it whatever, right? And so The true healing and release comes when you can access that and be primarily in that connected space, not just trapped by your ego. So many programs out there really help you get outside of the booze and and detox and change your thinking about alcohol. And that's great, But to me, that is the starting gate because what's on the other side of that in terms of changing your consciousness, changing your energy, that's where life really gets cool. I
0: never, I never thought about getting smashed and all that stuff and getting, I never thought about that ever. One of the guys I met who ran a couple of recovery centers in Austin, they take the kids hiking and that's, or, or, you know, guys hiking, that's when they open up because they're not you know, in this thing where they're like defensive and and, and stuff like that. This is, this is a real story. This happened. It's a hundred percent true. I swear to God. Uh, I storm in Austin. I'm driving down the road. I get a phone call from a guy that I hadn't spoke to in years. So I'm like, if he's calling me, this is a weird call. Puts me, he said, Hey man, my brother-in-law sitting right next to me. He won't stop drinking. He wants to kill himself, this whole thing. Right. And yeah. so he says this, right. And he can, the guy can hear me. And and I get on the phone with him and in the background, my buddy is saying, stop drinking. And I said, hey man, pardon my language, I said, hey, shut the fuck up. And I was like, stop talking. You, did you call me? Let me handle it. And so I said, hey man, keep drinking. And he's yelling at me, he's like, what are you doing? And I said, stop talking. I said, I've got this, okay? <laughs> like, I was like, st- I was like, drink another one. He's like, you're not gonna tell me what to do. I said, no, drink another one, have a double. And he, and like, at that moment you could feel the energy just like, and I said, Hey man, can you do me a big favor? I was like, before you have your next drink, could you have a water? And He said, yeah, I can do that. And then I said, and then we, and then I kind of like got him on my side. And then I started talking about his son and then we kind of like got him and then he stopped drinking. People that haven't been through like you and I have, mm. they have a tendency to deal with it the way they know how to. But when you have been through it and you understand the psyche, it's not about. Like I didn't, I me, I wasn't even drinking at the end to enjoy it. I was drinking oh. it because subconsciously, and you know what I always tell to my clients, it really messes with them. If you really want to know when you're when you're abusing alcohol and you're totally checked out, you drink vodka. And then, and he's like, "What are you talking about?" I said, "Well, that's because you don't care about flavor anymore." And he was like, "Oh shit!" And he was oh, like, I
1: was a big vodka girl. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it's so
0: random, but it's the truth because I'd be on my third or second drink. And I didn't even realize I was doing it because I associated, I had a long day at work and then I'm going to have a drink, but then you wake up and you're like, oh, I don't, I subconsciously that's what yeah. you did. And so what I did for me is anytime I wanted to drink, I would jump on the Peloton for 15 minutes. I love that. And so I would create just to, just to an interrupt. And yep. and. And, and 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 that's what it is. It, it just rewiring the subconscious and like reprogramming it to pick something different. Uh, I call it spoke in the wheel technique, whatever you want to call it. But it, we do most of what we do subconsciously. We don't even do it consciously.
1: I call it uh, the eat this, not that diet. Okay. Right? Like instead of picking up a drink, move a muscle. Instead yeah. of picking up a drink, meditate. Instead of picking up a drink, have an orgasm instead of picking up a drink, <laughs> like, you know, seriously, there are ways to get hits of dopamine that do yeah. not involve alcohol.
0: Dude, it's like it's like trying to turn on the song Celebration by Cool and the Gang and not be excited. <laughs> like it doesn't exist, right? But we create what we create these traps in our world, right? What I, my joke, cause I, I played a lot of sports. Like my joke is don't get your new routine your new boo, your new morning routine or not drinking, don't take it on the road until you mastered it at home. I didn't go out to bars right. for you know six months or a year because I, I just mentally, not that I was gonna drink, but I just didn't need to be around that energy. Now I'm a master bartender. I'll make drinks for my my mentors, my friends all day long. I don't care. I still romantic about booze. I sold it for 20 years. I love winemakers from Burgundy. But that doesn't mean that I need to enjoy that. I enjoy the story of the booze and I can make it for you. I can sell it. But but I wasn't in my first couple of months, I wasn't ready. Now I could care less. It doesn't matter because I've done enough time. But I think a lot of people put themselves in situations mm-hmm. that they shouldn't be in when they're not ready yet mentally to handle it.
1: I concur. It's really true. Like now doesn't make any difference to me, but I wasn't there in my first year. Just wasn't. No.
0: When I I was a road manager for a, a country band for three years in my late twenties, and I, you had a rule, uh, never put yourself in a situation that you shouldn't be in, in the first place. When you're like on the that. road, you know? <clears throat> it's true. It's well, like, there it's you like, go, right? It's, like, it's <laughs> like one of those things, it's like that, you know, the joke, right, parents say, nothing good happens after one o'clock. It's the truth, right? It is and, the but, truth. But, but, but what I, here's the, here's the rub though. here's the rub. I think that adults, especially, Purposely put themselves in that situation so they can mess up, so they give themselves an out, so they can blame it on that instead of actually doing
1: what they should do. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah.
0: So if people want to find their book, they want to buy it, they want to reach out to you, how would they do that?
1: Best way is to come to juicyaf.life forward slash book, and that'll take you into my world.
0: Best website domain in the history. It is kind of fun, right? It's so great. It's so great. I I see the shirt line, everything. It's so amazing. Uh, It's so
1: funny. Like I have, you know, people that I work with that are my age and they're like, Ooh, I don't know if you know this, but kids today think AF. And I'm like, Oh Jesus. Yes. Yes. It's on purpose.
0: I love it. Guys, if you got some value from this episode, send it to a friend and we'll see you next time.